You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your hosts, Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. You can tune in for your ease of listening pleasure on your favorite streaming device. We are streaming currently on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Pandora, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the World Wide Web. Without further ado, let's dive in with Indie Creators. Follow, follow the sun, and which way the wind blows, when this day is done. Set your intentions, dream with care. Tomorrow's a new day for everyone. A brand new moon, a brand new sun. Right here, we're gonna. It looks like we're live right now. And uh, how do you say your last name? Tony Dominico, D- Dominic Dominico, Dominico. Right? Yeah. What is that? What, what kind of name is that? That would be Italian. Italian, Tony Dominico. Tony Dominico. From Are you from Long Beach? Uh, I've been here for 14 years now. Well, great. Well, welcome to Any Creators in the Joy Zone. My name is Thomas Artivani, Suzanne Toro, your lovely host as well. And uh, we're here to celebrate. You and actually get into what what, what makes you what makes you tick in terms of uh, I heard you're doing all sorts of community things with the food and uh, engaging the community in uh, unique and innovative ways. Is there was there a basis for the goodwill that you provide through your food, or was it just just a, a family business, or how did you get into it? Sure. Um, so I guess it's been uh, nearly seven years now that. Um... Ryan Smolar and I have been co-directing Long Beach Fresh. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization that tries to improve healthy local food access in Long Beach. And we do that in a number of ways. Um, I like to think of it as uh, grassroots and grass tops organizing, where we try to bring the community together um, to identify shared values of what we want to see in our food. So what is that? that's beautiful. What does that look like? community comes together yeah. you guys do this shared value thing is it like on the beach or is it at your place or sure so we're uh we're still working toward a headquarters so we've had a lot of our events in the past at different spots throughout the city um that we want folks to discover and get to know um for covid we had two um annual foodways summit events where we tried to highlight different ways that people are moving their food cultures forward and innovating in local food so that was interesting where you know, essentially for each of those event series, um, we had about seven events spread throughout the city um, from North Long Beach to West Long Beach to the coastal areas, of course. That's um, huge. Seven events aspect. going on simultaneously at the same time? Um, so it'd be spread out throughout a week. So you could RSVP for the events that you're most interested in or get a pass for the whole week. Some of the events were free. Uh, some had a suggested donation of you know 15 to 30 dollars and some of them you know like the one we did in cambodia town in partnership with the may center which is a a cultural healing center in the heart of cambodia town um, they helped us conduct a food tour of cambodia town where we went from one uh, urban farm to another grow site uh, visited some small businesses in between uh, did a tour of a cambodian market that's really amazing um, and had four or five chefs popping up at both sites uh, so that folks were replenished and rejuvenated along the way. And, what? That's, <laughs> that, that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, is, I mean, that pre, is that pre-COVID? Or? Yeah, it's is pre-COVID. Um, we were gearing up for the next one and, um, of course, had to shut all that down. Um, the other thing we did do annually that's been on hold is a urban agriculture contest that we usually host um, during Bixby Knoll's first Fridays, and that event sees a couple thousand attendees. Um, but the kind of centerpiece of it is um, essentially like a blue ribbon local produce contest, and it's amazing to see what folks are growing from their yards, um, gardens, 
all the way up to urban farmers in the city, which we have several. So we really try to create space for all that and help folks connect around it and try to encourage more folks to be empowered, to take control of their food and their health. Um, and to recognize also like a lot of that's community level programming. That's one part of it. But for us, it's very important to also look at changes we can make to the systems that affect our choices. So mm. we do a lot of policy work and have played a huge role in modernizing the city's policies when it comes to healthy food access and especially urban agriculture um, in terms of making it more more possible to actually right. um, open up sites to grow. And share a little bit. I was noticing how much valuable resources you have uh, for during the COVID to help people get meals uh, if they're in need. Yeah, so a big part of what we do is we try to pull together the information that's out there and get it out to folks and sort of be a hub for local food information. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we've really tried to bring a lot of that info together. Obviously, during certain phases of the pandemic, people were really interested in figuring out where they could buy um, local produce boxes and CSAs. And a lot of folks were interested in figuring out how they could help with food distribution charities and programs. Um, so, and we also were able to direct a lot of community funded support toward those efforts during the time as well. So it was a stressful time, a lot of stuff changing, but I think we were able to bring folks together. And part of that was based on the help we were able to get from the community. Cause Ryan and I are part-time as co-directors, you know, we both have um, other jobs that we work on as well. And a lot of our efforts are pulled together by working groups of community members that mm. want to pour energy and support in. So like the grocery guide we came out with was like 40 hours of work overnight that five people worked <laughs> on. Oh my goodness. Wow. Stayed together and we had one expert that was good with the mapping stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's like, these are things that as we pulled working groups together, people identified, hey, we should do this. We think now's the time and there's no time to waste. And so we've been able to see how communities can respond to uh, crises and we see yeah. so much support and connectivity in that way. Um, I didn't really get to the whole backstory of what drew me to this work, um, which I'll say there's a couple pieces to it. One is like the more personal end of it was like majority of Long Beachians. Uh, I've been an apartment dweller for quite some time. I had a stint into home ownership, but when I started this project, I wanted to try gardening and I wanted to do mm. it close to home. I was able to find a place where um, I could share a space with neighbors and brought in some friends who were experts in permaculture to help design the space. And I just found myself really invigorated by the concepts of permaculture, the idea that in order to replenish ourselves and nourish ourselves, we can be also doing things that regenerate the environment rather than having to look at food as something that's completely extractive that takes value away from the land um, and really being able to connect and learn from uh, indigenous cultures of this area and of the region about how they've done that and to see that grafted into systems that make sense was very encouraging to me because I was coming out of grad school and really felt disillusioned with the state of things in terms mm. of um, the amount of power that is used just to consolidate resources and take them away from folks. And so, yeah, just really community power building. And I wanted to learn how to do stuff myself and then help others learn how to do it. Um, and so in starting the project, um, I was involved in an initiative by the California Endowment um, called Building Healthy Communities. And they were pulling together uh, community residents and organizations to try to set goals on what sort of improvements could be made across the city to mm -hmm. make our communities healthier, especially from a systemic level to see that like um, the systems that we live in affect our choices and health is just about personal choices. So I really like that um, connection. There's got to be there's got to be something deep in that. I mean, you're unique yeah. in your in your love of gardening, your 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 contribution to the community. Where 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 was that? Who planted that seed with you? No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this this initiative of the California Endowment helped me to see things. Um, like I was already seeing things at a systems level, but I found the ways to connect it together. But I would say before that, um, I was really inspired by a couple of people. One is a local activist uh, named Ryan Serrano, who, who now runs a company called uh, Earth. Wait, I'm going to get the name right. Earth Steward. Earth Steward. Earth Steward Ecology. There we go. Um, and so he has a landscaping company and at the time was 
teaching people permaculture through a community site in Long Beach. Um, and just seeing those values in action really inspired me. But um, on the more cerebral level too, I was really le- reading um, pretty much everything that uh, Daniel Pinchback has ever wrote. Mm. Um, I started one of the first chapters of the Evolver Spores back in the day, which was these community sites to host discussions and interactive events on themes that were kind of decided as a global collective. So we had at some point like 50 cities going with this where we'd come back and be like, hey, these are the topics that are coming up. Let's codify some themes. Let's have themed events throughout our cities and then feed back into the network. What are we learning? What's working? What are these emerging spaces? For, uh, so, so what is what is working? What are you learning? What, what, what's what's the what's the inside scoop on that? Good question. Um, the inside scoop of what I've been learning, I think there's a couple things. One is that while our values can be very deep and very emotional, sometimes there is a need to push consistent incremental change, and we have to nudge and nudge and mm. nudge to change behaviors of institutions, of organizations, of governments and of our neighbors and family and um you know i deal with those challenges a lot for sure especially when it comes to thinking about family member health um and there's just a certain amount of gentleness and persistence that needs to happen because i think when we push in such an aggressive absolutist black and white way that a lot of times folks recoil from that and it's hard right. to change to really be considered um or they but- just give you like they, they kind of say okay fine we'll do this but then they don't really follow through on well, it. You know, you know you're, kind of, you're a little bit talking around it so what is that specific issue that has to be gently communicated to our neighbors to our governments and stuff like that? what is it specifically yeah. is there anything specific I mean, there are so many when it comes to food i would say um that good food is a human right and it shouldn't just be a privilege and mm. i've had uh-huh. business owners who are like well if people just wouldn't spend all their money on junk food they could afford to eat healthy i'm like the issue is so much more nuanced than that um and so it's like having those kind of conversations and then i see when things get difficult i see business owners show more of their true colors where it turns out you know they're very prejudiced in a lot of ways so it's like i really try to bring people together and nudge them to see things in a holistic manner and to see that everybody's doing their best to an extent and that we can be helpful in those efforts so but you know the thing i want to do is i want to i want to make healthy choices to be easier choices they shouldn't be the most difficult choice possible to eat healthy and to have an active lifestyle. Well, so share with the listeners. I mean, we could go to the, what, farm stand? How can we eat really healthy simply? A lot of we can do. It just depends upon, a little bit upon what you have access to. So I think there's things we can all do to increase access to healthy food lifestyles throughout the city so that everyone has those opportunities, like curing food deserts and recognizing that some neighborhoods have a glut of healthy food options even though they might be more expensive and then other neighborhoods have literally food swamps and junk food and grocery stores with poor quality stuff Mm. so i think we have to work together to level the playing field on that while also making different personal choices so i think like usually our food choices are very habitual and they're very ingrained and it can be very scary to do something different whether it's actually yeah just going to the farmer's market for example that can produce a lot of anxiety, especially during COVID or even after that. Um, All right. So, yeah, so I've got... you get out there and you have one experience in that space or have one positive experience, it's so much easier to go back and to make it habit. The same thing is true of cooking for yourself and, you know, for your family. It might be terrifying because you don't want to mess it up or you don't want to waste the food by doing it improperly. And a lot of it's trial and error, but you've got to take the risk and do the thing to start to see the potential for reward in it and the potential for satisfaction and joy. In it. What does it look like to take a risk in the kitchen to cook? I mean, what, is it, what does it look like for somebody who wants to eat better? So let's lay out, like, like what might be a scenario, like, where you're getting that, like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, for sure. Um, so what it looks like to me is trying different, different ingredients, um, learning what is seasonal in our region, what grows in our region, not expecting to eat tomatoes all year round, for example, or for tomatoes to always be good all year round. And so it might be like, hey, you really like this one processed food that's like a veggie patty that's in the freezer and it might have a lot of sodium and it might not be the healthiest thing. If you're able to get some fresh avocado with it and add a herb that you might not have used before to the mix, it makes it a lot healthier. So it's finding ways to find balance in what you eat 
um, which usually can be done very easily by shopping for local produce because you're going to get what's seasonal, what's available at the time, and you can let what you what you're able to find inspire what you make. It's so easy to Google and find recipes that seem compelling. And there's a treasure trove of, you know, local knowledge in those areas where folks are happy to share what works and what doesn't. That's why the crop swap events have been such a great success. That's one event we've been able to bring back during COVID and get approved by the health department. Mm. Folks are out with their growing, sharing it, um, and now in a more organized, safe, and less chaotic manner. But still, what comes out of that is naturally people are sharing tips on how to prepare what they're bringing and sharing with others. Um, they're sharing tips on how to grow. They're propagating plants and bringing seedlings for folks to go plant it themselves. So it just really causes all this flourishing to happen when space is created for like peer-driven learning. So the other thing there is like, don't be afraid to take risks and try stuff, but also don't be afraid to connect with folks and learn from other folks in the community. Yeah, beautiful. So, so, so generally speaking, I mean, you would have to say why. So like, if I'm a bad eater, I'd have to say, well, why, why, I mean, what's, what's, what's the big deal there? So to talk to talk to our audience about uh, the value of nutrient-rich food relative to dead food and stuff like that, is that something that you preach about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm careful on what I say about this because I'm not a certified nutritionist, but I have learned a lot from nutritionists and uh, vegan chefs and all that good stuff. And the thing that I've learned that has had the most influence on me is to think of yourself as a living organism and to think of what you eat as living organisms and to recognize that you need diversity in what you eat so that you have diversity in your gut health and the, you know, all the little microorganisms that are involved in your food. So yeah, when you're eating dead food, you're probably not getting, you might be getting protein <laughs> out of it. You might be getting calories out of it. And honestly, when we look at hunger relief and we look at those sort of efforts, most of the time, that's all they're looking at is, can we deliver calories to people? And what we're trying to push for is we want there to be more nutritional recommendations right. when it comes to giving people free food so that they it can be catered to their dietary needs. And right now, I don't think I have to push and convince people to be healthier because everybody I know has somebody in their family who by necessity is being forced to change their diet. The American diet and the Americanization of other ethnic foods into you know things like Taco Bell the, the epidemic of health problems we're having as a result of that, as well as the sedentary lifestyle, is just undeniable. And the statistics right. are through the roof. So we're Absolutely. trying to push those changes because we know that everybody knows it's necessary, even if it's because of a family member or themselves or their child having, um, health, you know, food-related right. health issues. Well, and share how good you feel when you grow your own food, you eat nutrient-rich food. What happens there? What have you witnessed, Tony? Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And it's like, we don't get to see enough of that because it's such a personal experience to prepare food for yourself. Not everybody puts everything on Instagram or um, <laughs> bring to work group meeting or whatever. But like, I can say that from what I've seen and experienced, it definitely grows your interest in food. Because I think sometimes we do think of food as fuel and as a means to an end and not as like kind of a core nexus of life. And in the pandemic, I've had, you know, a few, I've had a few community meetings where I have really asked people to reflect on how the pandemic has affected what they eat. Um, but one thing I've noticed that's interesting is that some folks have said that planning their meals has been a helpful way to structure their day. And I mean, mm -hmm. I'm Italian, so that's, that's <laughs> how my people have always been. It's like, yeah, <laughs> about what are we going to start getting ready for dinner? And I'm like, I got so much work to do, dad. Like, why are we talking about this? <laughs> It's a way to structure the day, especially when you don't have a lot going on or you might just have work going on and it's stressful. It's like, well, I'm going to go work on this food thing or get it started or get something going in the crock pot. And it just adds, you know, richness to the day, especially if you're at home and you're smelling it and you're adding things, you're tinkering, um, you know, tasting it along the way. All that's good stuff. Like we used to we used to have a culture of slow food and we take our time doing things right. Um, and yeah. I think we're starting to get back to that to the extent that we can. The thing that sucks about it is so many families still believe they cannot do that because of the economic constraints that they have. You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your hosts, Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. You can tune in for your ease of listening pleasure on your favorite streaming device 
we are streaming currently on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Pandora, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the World Wide Web. Without further ado, let's dive in with Indie Creators. Well, and sure, yeah, and you touched a little bit on it with like fast food or um, high caloric food without a lot of nutrient value. But I, I always share with people: you can go to the farm stand or the grocery store, and you can get an apple. You can get a banana instead of get, giving your kids a bag of chips. Um, there's fresh food. You can even get a head of lettuce and eat it and rinse it off real quick. Um, you know, yeah, you just got to know how to make it attractive, especially with kids. Sometimes it has to do with the way you cut it up or what you sprinkle on yeah. it or the quality of the apple. Honestly, when kids get a disgusting looking waxy <laughs> discolored apple yeah. at school, yep. you never want apples again. Or if you have like a bad tomato, you're never going to want to eat a tomato again. I know a lot of people <laughs> got sick once. It's yeah. true, but it's like the quality has to be there. Yeah. Um, and that's what I want people to have equal access to. And honestly, when you grow stuff yourself, it's going to be mixed results. But when you have that tomato plant you work so hard on, you only get like a handful of tomatoes out of it the first year. They're so delicious. And then guess what? Save some seeds and plant them again. And they're going to keep adapting to the climate and getting better at growing. Here. Right. So that's exciting just to see that it's it's cyclical. It's ongoing, it evolves over time, and it's a process as opposed to just, I buy this thing, I unwrap it, I eat it, and then it's over with. Right. And so another what? thing to think about, how, do you, how does your food make you feel? Not immediately, because a lot of unhealthy foods give you a rush right off the bat, but how does it make you feel an hour or two later? And that's the thing that helped me change how I, I was eating um, yeah. at one point in time, was I paid more attention to how I felt afterwards, mm. and an hour afterwards, or half an hour afterwards you get the itis there's a time and a place for that but are you always getting the itis every time you eat a meal where you're just wanting to pass out <laughs> not a pattern you know you should feel energized yeah all right so a couple of couple of questions for a food expert that thinks about it looks at it all day long how do you know a piece of fruit is good like how do you judge a tomato a perfect tomato like how would you describe a perfectly ready to eat tomato yeah, um, so there are imperfections in produce that can actually not really have an impact on the taste or texture. What I look out for is a lot of times we waste perfectly good stuff because it might look a little funky. Um, but besides that, when we do the Long Beach County Fair and we have like the little produce contest, usually get, they try to use all their senses as much as possible, which is why it's a hard thing to do during COVID. They want to be able to smell it, touch it, poke it, even taste it if possible. Um, to assess the quality of it. So perfect tomato is going to have firmness and softness at the same time. It's going to have a balance of sweetness and acidity in the flavor, which is something you never see in restaurant tomatoes. Like they're almost completely bland. Right. Um, those bland balance of flavors is what completes a meal and makes it an interesting meal. Um, so again, it's, it's kind of like the complexity of flavors and textures and what we expect to experience that makes something taste good or not taste how about a, how about a honeydew melon how do you tell a honeydew melon's ready i think from what i've heard i believe it has to do more with smelling it and maybe knocking on it and listening to it <laughs> that's yeah. what i recall but it's been a little while on that one and those are tough to grow because you got to harvest them at just the right time and if you overwater them they split too much same yeah. thing with tomatoes those can get splits in them which are not ideal yeah. what's your what, what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite veggie i mean from veggie guy I mean, what, what do you like? Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite salad? Like when you make a salad, what, okay, what do you, what, you how do you how do you make how like how what do you put together? Okay. Yeah, this is a good one, and it's kind of a combo of everybody in my household and what they like to add to salad. <laughs> they, don't, they don't all like the same stuff, but I like it all. So I'm like, put it all in there. <laughs> it's a win-win for um, you. <laughs> definitely fresh or pickled onions, right? Nice. Great in salad. I like a little cheese in my salad for sure, like some Romano, um, olives chopped up olives fresh pickled salad. anything pickled honestly or fermented i want to add a little bit of that to everything i eat 
That's right. the giant. That's my glory right there. Is, do you do it in a pasta style, or do you put it all together and let everyone just pick it out? <laughs> oh, see, that would be smart. Usually, it just gets all thrown together, and yeah. and we just debate about what's going to go in it, or it's just be a normal salad. My dad will say, and we'll be like, okay, that means tomato, onion, olives, mm. cheese, but. You know, we have other stuff we'll throw in there, whatever's growing, like micro kale from the garden might go with um might go with romaine that's from Smart and Final, you know? That's just how about how about how about how about your oils? How about your oils? Like your uh, what kind of oils do you like to make put together with these veggies? Yeah, some just really good olive oil usually do the trick. Like what kind what kind like is it like uh, I mean like like people that don't cook don't really get into like tasting the different oils, but they're just like wines, right? I mean, you've got such a selection out there that can actually add a nuance to your food, just like a just yeah. like a quality, just like a quality veggie. You you have a quality oil too. Do you, do you have any quality oils you like to like to use in your in your food? I haven't gotten into oil snobbery yet, but no, <laughs> not yet. There is a um, there is a avocado oil sold at the farmers market that I've used before. I do like I have started to like that. I will say that. Yeah, that's a yummy. Oil. I hear cold pressed oils are where, where it's at, right? Because some of them can be too over refined, and right. that adds carcinogens to them and stuff that's bad yeah. for you. Yeah, we are lucky. <laughs> there are a lot of great things available. What was that? What beautiful place down? Uh, uh, was that was that Huntington Beach where they had all the oils? There was like thirty-seven oils that you could sample. Oh yeah, there's a lot of stores out that way now. That you know, yeah, it was in Huntington Beach. Yeah, you got the you got the you got, you do have the oil snobbery out there, but just yeah. like just like you want from Olive Farm though for sure if you can. I'll yeah. say that again. I know that, I know there's farm. some in Southern California too, but if you can get olive oils from an Olive Farm, they're usually gonna be pretty darn good. Well, listen. The food is such a community thing, and and it's really wonderful that you're in, you're encouraging people to come together and to break bread and to cook together and to take the risk to figure out what, what's good. And it, you know that's just part of our our evolution as human beings to break bread together and to make that part of our discussion and to uh, a bond and to bond making our food and in this day and age it seems like that's becoming further and further away it's just really wonderful that you're encouraging that that old school bond uh that you know creates great friends and and, and deeper family values and, and opens up a, a whole whole different type of conversation that people can can have with each other and enjoy each other with yeah yeah it seems like you're very attached to the your uh, italian heritage and take a great pride in the fact that the italians make this beautiful food uh, yeah, going to Italy once will do that to you as well. Because I think there's a lot of yes. places in my family where we've lost some of those traditions, but also places where we've held on to mm. sort of Americanized editions of those, where it's like, how can you make magic out of really typical store-bought ingredients, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's one thing to point out, I think, to the listeners, maybe you could speak to um, people that are growing locally. Are they keeping it? California more native because if you go to Greece you're you have a basic produce protocol that's growing there and the same with Italy it's not you know people aren't getting too wild with growing something from India let's say (laughs) yeah I mean this is the wild wild west I guess when it comes to that because you can grow so many things in a Mediterranean climate right Um, yeah I've seen some really incredible bananas for example grown in Long Beach of different types but um i don't know if there's a lot of rules with that i know with landscaping it's much better to use native plants but when it comes to food yield it's not quite as straightforward in that way well, yeah, it, well, I think there's a lot of research to be done and knowledge to be learned about what indigenous cultures to this area we're actually eating i don't yeah. think we know enough about that or we don't talk enough about it well given all your research and, and your specific uh quest to share good food with your community well, where do you see it going what's our what's our future of food how, how do I, in an ideal world in your ideal world with your ideal vision how do you see this unfolding in a, in a, in a great way um great question i guess there's a lot of small things i'd like to see happen to kind of be filled feed into a bigger picture of food security so i would like certainly to see local communities be more resilient Um, So if there were shortages in supplies or cutoffs in transit routes of supplies, obviously we import so much stuff as it is. 
um, most of our food travels, you know, hundreds of miles before getting to us. Um, should that run into problems and barriers due to climate change, natural disasters or other things, there should be somewhat of an ability to um, for communities to support themselves with local food supply. That's a big thing to work up toward. If you think about how much we grow now in Long Beach, it's minuscule compared to um, what we would need if we were just to feed all the kids in the school district, mm. local vegetables, for example, that were grown here in Long Beach. That would be really hard to reach. Right. Um, but I, I think we'll see more innovation in the ways that people are growing too, whether it's vertical and container growing um, or just looking at in the ground regenerative agriculture. I think if we have to mass produce some foods or fruits and vegetables, um, we should actually be really careful and specific about which ones and how and make sure yeah. there's like maximum efficiency and, you know, fa fairness in the process of how they're grown. Um, because there are a lot of things that are better to grow local because they're better when they're super fresh and right. you don't have to manipulate them to make them last longer. Where, where's um, that? Where's that? Where's that happening? Yeah. Where, where do we like, grow in Long Beach? Um, yeah, there's I think seven or six urban farms now and dozens of community gardens throughout the city. Um, so there's a lot of spaces. Not all of them are totally open to the public and a lot of them have shifted to feeding those most in need during the pandemic. Mm, so there's a, it's a great story from a few months ago on our blog at lbfresh.org slash news that um, highlights a handful of urban farmers in our area that have shifted their production toward feeding uh, those in their neighborhood, those in need. Um, and that's what we've been pushing for from the beginning. We wanna see opportunities for people to access healthy local food right where they live, right in their neighborhood. That's why we pushed to legalize urban agriculture in residential areas. Um, there's obviously, you know, it's a bit of a puzzle and a bit of a maze to get those projects set up, but there's a new urban farm that just set up in West Long Beach on Columbia and mm. Santa Fe that, that we helped to solicit ideas for. Yeah, and that's one where, you know, they wanna, they're a farmer driven project. It's um, a, a veteran farmer, like a military veteran who's a farmer um, who partnered with another military veteran who's more of a um, sort of organizer um, who are putting the farm together to feed folks in the neighborhood. They just held a food distribution there that was a partnership with a food recovery organization. It's like they're in a lot that's been vacant for at least 30 years mm. now being developed into you know a source of healthy food. And it's an area where the soil is not even really useful. So they're doing everything on top of the soil and in raised containers starting off. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so those kind of projects, they're, they're, they take a couple of years usually to set up, but we've seen two new projects this year, um, two new projects last year, and a couple sites that are being redeveloped, like the Gladys Avenue Urban Farm is a really amazing site that was started by Captain Charlie Moore, like, gosh, I want to say 30 years ago or- Wow. <laughs> 25 years right. ago around the time he started Long Beach Organics. So there's historic sites, the Growing Experience Urban Farm and Farm Lot 59 are amazing sites. Organic yeah. Harvest Garden, North Long Beach is an incredible site. Hudson Park Community Garden on the west side is also an incredible historic garden site where you have essentially majority of the gardeners there are non-native English speakers, generally older adults. Um, who have been growing on that site for, in many cases, 20 years. Wow. So it's an amazing history there. And there's like, obviously a lot of young people getting into it and kids that are getting opportunities to learn about this stuff at an early age with organizations like Adventures to Dreams. Uh, we helped them get a site set up in a park in near downtown. Um, and um, the one other one I wanted to mention is Ground Education. They're active in a handful of schools and doing virtual learning now, but they're using the school gardens to create virtual learning about the gardens. Oh, nice. nice. So yeah, it's been real interesting. And share with the listeners locally and then maybe because we have worldwide listeners, uh, if you have extra produce, how you might be able to share it with your community. Here we have uh, CropSwap, uh, if you can share a little bit about that and then maybe a simple way to uh, encourage people to put out their extra lemons, limes, apples. Yeah. And that's what I see the most of is folks actually putting their stuff out, which is easy with fruit, not as easy with like greens and stuff. But if your neighbors know, or if you have a way of alerting your neighbors that, hey, I'm gonna put this stuff out at two o'clock, people will come get it. 
Um, and I know there's probably different apps and things in different countries, but one app that is um, more widespread and available in a lot of places is literally called CropSwap. Um, and it also gives you options to sell your produce, um, which obviously the regulations can vary in different places for that, but mm -hmm. they give you the option to sell, trade, um, and it's, you know, pretty nice app. And mm -hmm. then also, yeah, I think just figuring out what works well, like there's certain neighbors on my block that I just know they put stuff out and you sort of look forward to it and you know, what yeah. kind of when it's going to run out and you'll have to maybe find another place to get limes for a little while. Yeah. Um, but it does happen, and I think it's a good way of building trust. Another thing that's cool are uh, little little free pan pantries. There's a few in Long Beach, but other cities have way more than us, kind of like little free libraries, but there's st folks stock those with usually non-perishables. And then last but not least, community refrigerators um, have popped up across L.A., though they were quickly forbidden in Long Beach because of health and safety concerns. But that's where businesses, organizations would be wiring up a refrigerator, putting it outside the building, letting the community get <laughs> with yeah. things and like take it. And those have been well managed in LA. They've been very successful. Um, last but not least, we're um, right now we're working on a project to set up um, refrigerated storage containers where rescued food can be stored oh, at least nice. overnight. Yeah, so that food distribution organizations can integrate more fresh stuff into their food distribution. Because right now most of them don't have refrigeration. Right. Oh, that's a project yeah. finders that uh, we saw a similar project in orange county and thought it'd be a good thing to apply for grants for and now we're right. working on finding the right sites in west long beach north and central which are the areas that are still technically food deserts and you know you know, you know it would be interesting for you to think about there's got to be like a food algorithm like long beach has five uh, approximately five hundred thousand people so it'd be interesting to understand the algorithm how much organic land would have to be available to feed 500,000 people good food you know like that would be and that, and that could yeah. be like uh like per acre or, or figure out like per person how much space how much other space could be dedicated to actually creating those sorts of environments that's a great idea to take note of i think there's <laughs> probably a way to do that yeah absolutely and, and growing methods i guess but if right and rotation yield yeah if you're going max yield you could probably figure some of that out and I, I could tell you one thing i think ramirez strawberry farm in west long beach could feed a lot of people strawberries <laughs> be sure to check them out if you're in long beach because nice. they're they're pretty awesome long well, running what's the plug ramirez strawberries yeah ramirez strawberries it's on santa fe avenue I think it's just a little bit north of Spring Street. Yeah, I, I would I would look into the algorithm because that that would be kind of like a goal. Like it seems like you're you're a potential guy and you're working to educate people on a broad scale and for a community to go, oh, you know, I need ten acres to feed X amount of people organic produce and to for each community to have some idea of what that might look like and then land that's not being utilized could be dedicated to just that. I mean, that would be. Uh, that could be something that, uh, as far as eating locally and as far as the community going, hey, we might not have anything, but this is what it would take. And uh, that would inspire a certain amount of change, I think. That's, uh, uh, and, and you're inspiring me to think differently already. So, Tony, listen, it's, it, I know you, you've, given us, you've been very generous and you, we've, we've taken 17 more minutes of your time than you originally wanted to give us. But our audience is so indebted to you and to your efforts. And uh, Suzanne and I uh, totally appreciate what you're doing. And we look forward to uh, seeing what you got down the road. And if you have anything <laughs> special that comes up, please let Indie Creators and Joyce Score know so we can have you on and then blast you out there and, and tell people what you got going on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sounds great. Thanks, you guys, for creating this space. Yeah, thank you. And we'll put all the links, uh, everyone locally, Long Beach fresh.org in addition uh, i encourage anyone listening from around the world to look at all their great work because it can be a model for maybe you to bring to your community if these things don't exist thanks again tony thank you awesome thank you you are listening to indie creators in the joy zone with your hosts thomas ardovani and suzanne toro you can tune in for your ease of listening pleasure on your favorite streaming device. We are streaming currently on Spotify, 
Google Play, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Pandora, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the World Wide Web. Without further ado, let's dive in with Indie Creators. Well, there it goes. Wow. What, a, what, a, what an interesting... Yeah, wealth, a wealth of information and resources. So. It's amazing how cutting edge his mind is. I mean, he's a really smart guy. He's, he's totally integrating. You can tell his social justice bent relative to how he's feeding people, which is really um, beautiful in terms of how he's trying to integrate and get it to people and get people to try different things and to, you know, and, and to understand that cooking itself is a sacred space and it's a time to give and serve. And you know that. I mean, that's, you, I mean you're a great cook. You're, you've been cooking, <laughs> I love to cook. cooking for all sorts of people all the time. You, you can go to SuzanneToro.com and look at all the food that she, what is it? What's your, that's right. Be simple, SuzanneToro.com and look at the stuff she posts. I mean, you're just looking at her. Her, her her website will make you hungry, make you want to go out and get something to eat. <laughs> yeah, it's well, cooking is a, a meditative act, you know, and it's a great way to uh, bookend a day or fill the middle of the day with a break. So I encourage everyone. I think most people have been cooking a little bit more during this uh, world experience that we've all been in together. Uh, so that's given people an opportunity to learn. Um, so, so tell us about, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, what he was talking about is, Totally right up your alley. Do you have anything to add in terms of to our audience in terms of how they can eat better, things to eat, or how yeah, to go about... I just encourage people to, especially if you have kids and you think it's not easy, go to the grocery store. Usually, break left or right wherever the produce section is, and have your kids grab something fresh just from the fruit and vegetables. And you'd be surprised. I mean, with uh, kids, they they really do like fresh foods. They just need to be offered them, you know. So when my kids were young, I would always put fresh uh, vegetables chopped up, apples, fruit with the dinner. So they always got, you know, fresh, nutrient-rich food. So that's an easy thing to do on the road rather than going to, like, the quick market. You can just go to the grocery store, go get some produce, fresh nuts, seeds, and voila, you have a a great little snack. Um, And I always encourage people to carry a fork, knife, chopsticks in the car with the a napkin because then you can dig in maybe a little salt and pepper too well you've done a good job because your kids gravitate towards good food healthy food i think they're even organic food snobs at this point <laughs> they they do like healthy food yeah so they know what their bodies and that's another thing is everyone uh processes food different so it's good you know when you're cooking to make something like uh, tony was sharing with the salad make something available for everyone so that they can add some people might be repulsed by it all of so Maybe put those on the side and let the everyone just pick and choose what they want. Doesn't we don't have to do post World War II? You will eat what's put on your plate and like it. <laughs> well, it depends on who's cooking, I suppose. No, it all depends on who's cooking. Well, I mean, just who's cooking and who's doing the dishes. That just would, have really fun make... with it. Just see what happens. <laughs> you know, throw a few a few extra things on the table. You might be surprised. Yeah, so that was that was fun. I mean, he he's around and he does all these events and yeah. you know I guess he they've survived the COVID and he's inspired and and coming up with new innovative ways to keep it going. So, yeah, well, you know, Long Beach is what was his what was his website? Longbeachfresh.org. You know, and Long Beach is a foodie Long town. Longbeachfresh.org. Yeah. Longbeachfresh.org and, yeah. and and that's Tony's organization. He's out yeah. there teaching everybody how to get back in touch with their food. Yeah. And growing it, which is super inspiring. It puts it all in perspective, you know. Uh, like you said, you get a handful of tomatoes and that's all you get off your plant. You realize, like, how gluttonous we are. We go to the market and we buy a big old pint of them and we mow know. them down. You know what? If you put that tomato plant <laughs> in the right light and you fertilize it right, that thing can give you more tomatoes than you can. Well, yeah, of can. course. But I mean, per picking, like, you know, you're going I mean, to have tomato make... plants like eight yeah, feet tall with, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the on. other side of the spectrum. You can't eat them all, so you have to share them. So <laughs> <laughs> it just depends yeah, on that, the crop. <laughs> that's it. Well, I hope he looks so. into the uh, food algorithm in terms of, uh, I think every city should understand actually what they need available to them to potentially 
grow their own organic food. So, right? that, so it, it push it comes local. push comes to shove, it keeps it local, and you don't have to depend on, you know, weather in Mexico or, uh, you know, whether the San Fernando Valley bears fruit or whatever. You've got your own. You've got yeah. your own in your backyard, and you can help keep that. You can probably do probably a fun thing for people to volunteer to go do too. Absolutely, could be could be a wonderful inner city project yeah. for people to think about. Well, and it keeps people well in the wellness aspect of it you're growing food you're eating the food from your soil and you know like a bag of chips isn't gonna really fill you up in the same way as a couple carrots and so you're gonna feel better longer um, actually your food bill will be lower I know he was mentioning it's not accessible but really if you eat fresh produce uh, as the main staple of your diet and then add you know if you're a fish meat eater or that little stuff and some grains you can eat pretty inexpensively uh, and then you know treat yourself with some of that it was interesting how carefully was to talk about nutrients and and but you know there's nothing wrong with talking about nutrients nutrients is simply the life force within food and when it you you know a lot of food when it makes it to the supermarket they've done things to it to soil that it's grown in can determine nutrient value the amount of sunlight it gets where where you know uh, quality of water actually the minerals in the the soil is really important and so you know how many how much pesticides they use to hopefully then <laughs> hopefully not but there's just hundreds and hundreds of types of yeah. pesticides that they're using to keep the bugs off of these fruits so like you were saying like the, like some of the more damaged fruit are actually is indica- indicative of less pesticide on the food because a little a little damage here and there can just simply mean that it wasn't covered with poison to let it grow <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but nutrient nutrient values are, are life forces within foods, and so some foods, like when you cook it, when you overcook food, you kill the nutrient value in food. You kill the life force in food. That's why learning how to blanch food, learning how to eat it as raw as possible, is good for you, um, and that allows the body to take from the food what it needs to sustain itself, and that's a that's a that's a major aspect of longevity. Absolutely. Especially the Taoists talk about, you know, the diet and how important it is even to combine the foods properly. So um, when you're out there looking for these foods, you know, look for, look, certainly look for the organic. But sometimes the organic is not as bountiful as some of the other foods. So you can actually use your discretion because some fruits and vegetables are radiant and they're just calling your name regardless of whether they're organic. And you go over the organic side and it's like those vegetables <laughs> look like they're dead. They were just Aww. like maybe two weeks too old or something like that. But Freshness is important. The radiance and the life force within fruit and vegetables is is important to feel and to sense your way into the food that you're going to put into your bodies. Right. And one of the one of the benefits of just shopping for your own food is that it, it not only does it open up the creative door, but it your body starts to physiologically digest the food as you shop for it. You're preparing the body's preparing to consume those foods as you shop. So when you do get those foods eventually into your kitchen you've already begun the process of digesting that food in a way that um, you can't with a restaurant you just can't do it you order it you pop it bring it you have no preparation for that food whatsoever yeah. of course unless you've been there on a dime yeah, yeah well in the fruit through fresh food will speak to you like the vegetables the, the uh, fruit all of that <laughs> It will commune with you, and if you grow it, it will talk to you. <laughs> so, well, that was fun. If if you're inspired, uh, check out longbeachfresh.org, uh, and we'll put post all the links below in the very near future. And uh, come on back in about 40 minutes. We're gonna have Donna Delory with Don us. Donna Delory, right? Yeah, yeah that should be so, fun. Musician. Uh, uh, songwriter artist yeah there songwriter artist spiritual spiritual entity as well so, yeah. so we'll see what she's got see what, see what kind of secret yeah. she's holding on to absolutely well thanks for thanks for uh thanks for coming down hey hey, hey. just saw a little indie creators and enjoys i think this is our first show of the year it's been a while we haven't 2021 Ooh. almost 148 uh, still, still working out the still working out the kinks <laughs> so forgive us uh but we'll we'll be back at you every week with uh some wonderful new artist entrepreneur and uh, celebrate their accomplishments within their with their hometown of long beach or wherever they happen to be coming to us from they come to us all over the world i mean yeah it's kind of fun all right have, all right. have a wonderful wonderful rest of the day evening wherever you happen to be
You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your hosts, Thomas Artivani and Suzanne Toro. You can tune in for your ease of listening pleasure on your favorite streaming device. We are streaming currently on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Pandora, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the World Wide Web. Follow the sun, the direction of the 